Contract negotiations get underway this week for Francisco Lindor. Can the Mets extend him and Michael Conforto? Is the sloppy defense we saw on Sunday a cause for concern yet? And did the Mets make a mistake not signing Jackie Bradley Jr.? We'll chat with the longtime WFAN Mets reporter. That's right. It's Eddie C. Eddie Coleman will join the show. All that plus another lesson from the Nelson Figueroa Spanish Academy is next on Amazing But True from the New York Post. Queens, New York. Mets take the field. So amazing. Amazing but true. Orange and blue. So amazing. Here's the pitch. New York folks. It's out of here. We got you. Buenos dias, mis vecinos. Welcome back to Amazing But True, our New York Mets podcast from the New York Post. That's right. If you missed last week's episode and the return of the show, you missed the first edition of the Nelson Figueroa Spanish Academy, where I did learn buenos dias, mis vecinos. means good morning, my neighbors, or good day, my neighbors. And in honor of Francisco Lindor, we'll talk about him in contract negotiations. We'll be joined later in the show by Eddie Coleman of WFAN. A really good conversation with Eddie C. Figgy. It's me, Jake Brown, Nelson Figueroa, my co-host at Figgy and Y and at Jake Brown Radio is where you can find both of us. Subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Amazon. But give us that five-star rating. Write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate your support in the coming weeks. We'll get you, the listeners, involved with You Got Mail. We'll read your tweets. We'll reply to your voicemails. All that jazz. Got a new microphone here, Figgy. New pod mic where I could get close. You know, I could officially become the Barry White of sports podcasting here in New York City. Hello. Buenos dias, mis vecinos. Yeah, sounds like this is going to be a long one. Yeah, I'll I'll shut up. But I did get injected on Friday with the first dose of the Pfizer vaccine. Did you? I'm feeling fine. You know, a little bit of a sore arm, but otherwise felt pretty good. Nothing too crazy. I don't have a third arm. I didn't invest in Microsoft, but otherwise doing pretty well. And Figgy, always good to be with you talking Mets baseball. Not a ton to get into, but the most recent news, Figgy, you know, is that Francisco Lindor, sources say, you know, Anthony Nicoma has reported that contract negotiations seem to be getting underway this week. And I think that's important. I think Mets fans were worried that, you know, maybe he ends up being a trade for one year, but it does seem negotiations are underway or getting underway. And I think Mets fans, that's music to their ears. Absolutely. Uh, you know, when the trade was made, that's the one thing that had to happen. You wanted to make sure that this guy is going to be in a Met uniform hopefully for the rest of his career. Honestly, this is a kind of player that you want to be able to have in your franchise. And with that smile and his ability on the field, both defensively and offensively, you want to lock him in and you want to lock him in as soon as possible. If not, you risk, you know, what happened with Manny Machado just a few short years ago. Everybody thought he was going to be a Dodger. That was a no-brainer. They were going to sign him and bring him back. But, you know, the almighty dollar does speak to some of these players. And there's some players that can kind of see a little bit beyond that. So I don't think he's going to be a problem with, you know, trying to compare him to the other major contracts that are out there. Um, I think he realizes, you know, he falls a little bit shorter uh, on on levels of, of where those numbers fall for those players. But at the same time, you want to make him comfortable. You want to make him see that bright lights in the big city are going to be the best thing for Lindora moving forward. Yeah, and, and Figgy, listen, he's not going to get the 14-year deal that Tatis got. 
and he's probably going to get more per year than Tatis got. Tatis got more years, a little bit less per year than maybe what he might be worth. He got 14 years, 340. That's 24 million a year. A lot of people point to something similar. Again, maybe less years than what Mookie Betts got. 12 years, 365. That's an average of 30 million a year. I'm looking at something like that for Lindor Figgy. Something around 30 million a year for him. Maybe it's 10 years, 300. Maybe it's eight years, 300. It does seem that 30 to $35 million a year range is the window you look at, right? I mean, Lindor is going to be, what, 28 after this season. He's going into the year 27 years old. You know, he's got 10 years until he might wear down. So something around that eight to 10, 300 range. Yeah, I mean, think about it right now. Name all the 38-year-old shortstops that are on baseball. I'll wait. Are there any? <laughs> none. Exactly yeah, none. my point. So I don't think it, it, it's something where you have to convince this guy to, to take $30 million a year. I think that's just a smart bet. Guaranteed money always speaks volumes. Um, playing shortstop for as long as he can. He can move over to third base if you so happen to feel like uh, you can get somebody maybe a little bit younger or pair him with somebody on that left side that make a dynamic duo while he's in a Met uniform. That's something that's always appealing. You don't want to just be the highest paid player on a team that can't compete because, you know, you're soaking up all the salary. Lindor, I'll, I'll say this about him. When the WBC team had Lindor, Baez, and Correa, they all were shortstops. And all you could sit there and say, oh, well, who's going to want to be the shortstop? And they didn't have an ego about it. And I get it. It's just the WBC, and it's a chance to play on the field anyway for Puerto Rico. But Correa moved over to third base. Those guys are interchangeable when it comes to that. So I don't see him having an ego saying, I have to be the shortstop moving forward. If there's something that can be done for the Mets in a long-term kind of thing, and he moves over to third base, he's able to play third base as well. So I, I think he's a talented enough player. I think he's a player that also realizes, look, he's, he's the face of New Balance right now. Pedroia retires, and New Balance now is Lindor all over it. There's a lot of good opportunities being in a Met uniform and being the king of New York, and I think that's where the Mets are going to luck out and not have to overpay for, a, say, like a Trevor Bauer $40 million deal for one year. Lindor, you want to have the longevity of having him for 8 to 10 years and make him very comfortable. Talk about opposite personalities with New Balance. Kawhi Leonard and Francisco Lindor. And I posted <laughs> on Sunday the video I got of Kawhi holding a baby in the tunnel at last year's All-Star game. I believe it was his. I, I basically informed the internet that Kawhi can be cute, can be, uh, it does have apparently have a baby that a lot of people didn't know about, I guess. Uh, it's like the Drizzy Drake of uh, the NBA. And now, he, now he's rapping about his baby. And Lindor, we talked Buenos Dias Mis Vecinos last week. You haven't seen it yet. I watched Coming to America, the second one. A little disappointing, Figgy, I will say. I laughed. It was funny. Obviously, if you compare it to the first, they're not in the same stratosphere. But it was definitely a movie that if this was out in theaters... It'd be getting a lot more noise as a dud, but because you're, you're home and you already have Amazon Prime, you're watching it there already where it's not a big deal. But, man, if that was in theaters, a lot of people would be saying, hey, I, that was not worth the $18. The popcorn, the Airhead Extreme Bites maybe, but not the movie <laughs> itself. So uh, I'll say that if you haven't seen it. So that's Matter of Business 1. Matter of Business is 2 is Michael Conforto. Now, Conforto is getting just over $12 million last year arbitration. He'll be a free agent after this year. John Heyman saying there's a soft deadline of opening day for Lindor. I don't know if there'll be a deadline for Conforto, but that's another guy you want to lock up. You know, he's really proven that he is your franchise right fielder. He's a handsome young fella, good looking, no problems off the field yet at all. 
been a great hitter. He's fun to watch. His defense, I feel like, has improved, Figgy, or his arm is good. He makes spectacular plays in right. He comes up with clutch hits. So I think Conforto, you got to think about, too, what are you looking for him? 12 now, you think he gets something closer to the 20 to $25 million over six years? Yeah, I think he's going to come, you know, you, when you had a choice between Springer and Conforto, I think that's where the Mets said, you know what, we'd rather invest into Conforto, someone we know everything about. Someone that we don't have any issues with what he brings to the table. And at the same time, it's not asking him to not play center field anymore and move over to a corner position where he might not be comfortable. You look at Conforto being that right fielder and you just plug him in there every single day in your lineup. You don't worry about the lefty-righty matchup anymore that he had that in the beginning of his career. So I think you look at him as someone that is going to command that $25 million range. And I'm comfortable with that as long as he continues developing. He hasn't yet kind of broken that that plateau of a 260 hitter where when he first came up with that sweet swing that he had, we're like, oh, this guy's going to bat close to 300 and drive in 100 every year. We haven't seen that player as of yet. Uh, there's been a lot of starts and stops, you know, in the last few years where you don't feel that consistency from him. We saw it last year for the beginning of the season and he kind of faded towards the end and it was only a 60 game season. So I think. This is the year that he has to put it all together, and I don't think it's going to be one of those fluke seasons that, you know, it's his walk year, so we're going to, you know, he puts up a, a monster year and, and then he gets paid for it. I think you look at the length of what he's done so far and his track record, and you've known everything about him in a Met uniform, and you're, like you said, he's got marquee, handsome, good looks. He's a guy that is can be the face of your franchise comfortably, and we talked about him possibly being the next captain. I have that much confidence in Michael Conforto in a Mets uniform and, and being that kind of player where the accountability factor, he's the guy that would be able to step up and answer questions readily. And it is International Women's Day and Women's Month here in March. And I know a lot of women were disappointed when they learned Michael Conforto got engaged. There were a lot of girls who thought they had their husband basically go away from them and go to this this beautiful lady that he ended up getting engaged to, and a lot of hearts were broken. So I think that contract needs to get done to repair some some of those female Mets fans who were who were mad about that. Uh, good for him. Congrats to him on getting engaged. You know, I tweeted, everyone's getting engaged and married. I'm eating chicken parm and steak. And that's what led to uh, the first dose of the vaccine. So shout out to the... We we all love what we love. Shout out to the chicken parm and steak for holding it down for that fat, (laughs) tubby little Teletubby belly that I got here. Marcus Stroman, speaking of guys without a Teletubby baby belly, it's Marcus Stroman, who was a little shaky Sunday. You know, his whole thing is designing these own cleats he's worked with. He's got talked about graduating Duke on there. You know, he he went through the two years to design these cleats. I don't look into spring training stats at all. Anyone who looks into the record or the stats needs to get their head examined, Figgy. I really think it means nothing. I think the key is that the guy's out there. He's healthy and pitching well. So forget about exactly what he did. I think the key was he went three innings. Once you see the guys get more than two, I think that's important. We're seeing guys get pulled after an inning or two. I think it's good we saw him for three. We saw him out there, looks solid, and it looks like he's got all the confidence in the world to have a big year. And again, a contract year, a guy who maybe next year is looking to get 20 to 25 plus a year as an ace for a team or as a number two or three on the Mets. I think it's good that we saw Stroman out there despite giving up a couple of runs. Yeah, I could care less if he gives up a couple of runs. I 
could care less about a lot of things during spring training. Him designing his cleats are great, but for me, seeing him go the three innings, you want to make sure that his velocity is sustained over those three innings. There's not a drop-off all of a sudden in velocity. He's working on a new pitch with that split change-up, so you want him using it more and getting more comfortable with it against you know hitters from other teams is always going to be a plus. You know, this is one of the guys that I truly enjoy watching because he can do so many things to frustrate hitters. And whether it's the stutter steps that he uses, the stops and starts with his mechanics and just the the plain dirty stuff that he has, his ability to throw a breaking ball at any time ahead or behind in the count really leaves hitters tied in knots and he still has plenty on the fastball he's not a hundred mile an hour thrower but you know 94 plus at times that's something that at that height you don't expect it and it gets on you very quick so he's very confident in his ability and that's something you love i want to see him be able to back it up and and back it up for a full season last year Man, he was ready to go. All the videos, the Instagram, the throwing bullpens, you know, on the dock at the bay where he was, you know, had somebody catching him. And I was so excited to see the Stroh show. And even it was only going to be 11 starts. It was still going to be an opportunity for him to go out there and dominate for 11 starts the way Trevor Bauer did. And if you see what Trevor Bauer was able to do based on of 11 starts, Stroman has better numbers over his career. Stroman has better numbers than Trevor Bauer over his career. So there's no way, though, that you would say Marcus Stroman is a $42 million a year pitcher. Would you? You wouldn't, right? So I'm trying to figure out where monetary value, I think, isn't going to be something that should be prioritized by him. It's going out there and and dominating in a Mets uniform. He's talked about it to death, how important it is to him to have on that Met uniform and to be a leader and to be a guy who is at the top of the rotation, helping them win ball games. So last year was a little bit of a distraction for him and for the Mets. But this year he, you know, signed back on for 18-9 very early when Steve Cohen took over. And he's one of those guys that can be, you know, a Met for a long time that you want to have guys that you can count on. After Jacob deGrom right now, remember, that starting rotation was nothing last year. Nothing after Jacob deGrom. So you have some other pieces this year. He's got to be one of the biggest ones. Pitching on the dock of the bay. Strowman's season was washed away. Oh, oh this microphone has you delusional. On. You're not even Listen, no reverb on there. Nothing. You said sitting on the dock of the bay like you were Otis Redding. So I felt I had to come in with a little Otis myself one time for you. So there you go. The the Strowman remix. Now, Carlos Carrasco, we'll see for the first time this week. Excited to see him. I mean, we don't need to mention Jacob DeGrom because he's just doing DeGrom tings in the words of a Drizzy Drake so early. 99 to 100 miles an hour, Figgy. I mean, it's just absurd how good he is. And obviously, he will be the opening day starter on April 1st. Can't wait for April 8th to be at City Field. Not getting tickets yet. I think that people are getting tickets now. We don't even know what the capacity will be. How are you locking in your plans a month away? I don't even know what tomorrow is going to bring, let alone a month. So I'm going to wait till probably the day of. Hopefully Papa Brown flies up. Now, you gave me the cardboard cutouts you brought to Queens a, a couple of weeks back. So I have those Bernie Sanders, my dad, and me sitting in my living room right now at cardboard cutouts. So they, we were there in spirit on opening day. Good to be back. So, yeah, with DeGrom was incredible Saturday, obviously throwing heat. So that's the big focus is the defense. And now Sunday was sloppy. But, again, 
do we put a lot of stock into these games and what happens in spring training? But the news that happened this week made you think, did the Mets miss out? Now, not having a DH changed the Mets' plans. They chose not to sign Jackie Bradley Jr., who went to the Brewers Brewers for two years, $24 million, Figgy. Good deal for him. I think a fair value, $12 million a year. A guy who, my goodness, McCann, Lindor, Bradley Jr. up the middle would have been a sight to see for a team that has some defensive question marks. I really still think without the DH, I would have liked to see the Mets get him. I understand why they didn't. They want to give Dom Smith at bats, even if it's going to hurt them defensively and left. You know, they they trust Nimmo's defense in center. They went a cheaper route and went Pilar and Almora. But, man, you got to salivate the thought. Now he's with the Brewers. It's not going to happen. But it would have been nice to have JBJ up in center field right behind Francisco Lindor's glove. Yeah, the one question for me, of course, is his offense. A career 239 hitter. He had a nice year last year, 283, seven home runs, 22 RBIs, and just 55 games for the Red Sox. But the Red Sox didn't really have much else. I, I, I'm, I'm not overly concerned with Jackie Bradley Jr. I mean, in the history of baseball, what did he, he won the MVP of that series, batting a buck 80. He had really the the one home run, the three run home run that put them over the top. So it's a different age in baseball where you're looking at some of these numbers totally different than you used to. So last year was a nice bump up year. Average wise, he hit some home runs and only 55 games, seven home runs. He's not that guy, though, that I don't know. He just wasn't moving the needle for me a lot. I think Nimmo still is very capable and you love where he is at in his career as far as his development at the top of the lineup, getting on base. His speed is still I remember Rosario was the fastest guy on the team, and the second fastest was Nimmo. He was right there with Rosario, but they never spoke about his his speed. So getting to see Nimmo a little bit more, and they wanted to do where they could platoon, and, and having all lefties in the outfield made it a little bit difficult. So you had to go get those righties. Pilar is a very good defensive center fielder. We've seen all the highlights of, of him being able to go get it all over the field. Almora Jr., signing him to an extended contract, you know, he's only 26 years old at 26 years old and a free agent, a guy that has his experience and was on, you know, some of those uh, Cubs teams that were very, very good. I like what he brings to the table. You know, it's a Lindor. I mean, not Lindor. It's a Ligaris type player who I think is going to be able to figure it out a little bit better. We've seen him already hit a bomb this year. So I'm excited for what those two guys can bring off the bench and, you know, whether you match them up in a with a lefty on the mound or whatever. I'm not that disappointed. Jackie Bradley Jr., if he was so good, then why is he being signed three weeks into spring training if he was so good? I think the way to Figgy on DH, and it's such a mistake. Let's say this. It's a colossal mistake by Major League Baseball, and you could say this as a pitcher who had to hit sometimes. The pitcher should not be hitting, period. We saw the DH and how great it was, and especially for the Mets who have these bats. I mean, it affected their plan completely. I mean, they may have gotten another bat if there was a DH, and instead they went defense with Almora and Pilar, but it is such a mistake by baseball. And going, They're trying to get all these young fans and trying to change the game. Well, going to your snail typewriter ways, your old-school 1950s ways, by not having a DH is a disservice to the younger fan base. It's a disservice to fans. It's a disgrace. And, you know, there's a chance we have a strike next year. There's a chance they don't, these labor deals and contract negotiation, all this stuff, you know, doesn't go through smoothly. And it would not surprise any of us. 
I, I like the fact that you went all the way back to the 50s when you said old school. You didn't go like, you know, the 90s way. Yeah. Like oh. some of these. Uh, I figured I'd go back to when you were born in the 50s. There it is. So uh, honestly, this is what it, it all comes down to. No DH was done and the MLBPA shot it down. It's going to be a bargaining chip for the MLBPA. You guys want a universal DH? No problem. We'll agree to it, but you got to give us something. So it's a huge bargaining chip because we saw, you know, how much better uh, – baseball felt how much better offenses worked how much better the teams felt of having the 26th man and being able to carry that dh and they were able to do more things offensively around baseball so i think the ownership got a nice little preview of that during the COVID season and that was where it was like you know what we'll hold on to this in our back pocket we don't want to do it this year we want to wait until negotiations start for the new cba and now it'll be where they pull that out and go, hey, you want universal DH? Well, we want a little something as well. So I, I, I get where the Players Association shot that down and didn't agree to it. And you know the owners were going to want it. The, the owners were wanting this for a bunch of years where they voted on it, and that vote was getting closer and closer and closer to being a, a, a majority of even the National League owners. They know. They don't want those pitchers hitting and running bases and sliding and sliding, you know, possibly head first or back into the bag and breaking a finger and there's your $20 million investment. So they realize the the, the future of the game is DH, universal DH. It helps the Mets immensely because they're able to use Dom Smith and Pete Alonso, you know, and keep them in the lineup and then have a defensive type guy in left field that can it's can just common sense figgy it, it, i know it's like again, if i, if I gotta see a pitcher fail to lay down a sack bun i'm gonna put the beanie <laughs> like you have on right now and start listening to lincoln park and good charlotte i mean it's a joke why there's no point of a pitcher batting 069 nice and not getting more than one base hit that goes over the first baseman because he was playing 10 feet away from you it's just just have a universal dh period there's no bargaining chips. There's an episode of Shark Tank. There's no Barbara Corcoran and Mark Cuban and Mr. Wonderful. DH, that's it. Nope. As I told you, there's the inner workings of baseball. What you see out on the field happens after long discussions of what is going to be put out there. The CBA, the only thing that has changed baseball in a way than never before has been when new commissioner came in. He changed everything within five years. No sliding and taking out people at second base. No sliding or barreling over catchers at home plate. Those are two aspects of the game that were never, ever, ever thought to be changed. Those are part of the heart and hustle of the game where you had a chance for some physicality in baseball. Where, you know, that's the whole cell of football. You know, there's collisions. There's all that. In baseball, it became, hey, why are we doing this? Why are we being so barbaric? Why are we running, you know, sliding into guys with metal spikes on and trying to take them out? That was what the game was was brought up on. We love that. The 86 Mets, oh, my God, they were taking out people at second base all the time. When I was coming up in the system, we had T-shirts made by our running outfield and running instructor that if you broke up a double play, you got a T-shirt that said DP Buster on it. So those were badges of honor that you were able to do things like that. Now that has changed because, again, the longevity of the game, of the player, the assets on the field, you want to keep them on there. And if it wasn't Buster Posey who got his leg broken, we would have not seen that change. Honestly, we would have not seen that that rule change so quickly because that's a huge thing. That's a momentum-changing play where it's barreled into the catcher. He holds on to the ball. And all of a sudden, man, your team just got out of a jam because your catcher was so tough that he held on to it. You're coming off the field. The fans are going crazy. Now we got to wait for replay four minutes to see if his spikes were in by a millimeter of a second. 
or if the catcher was blocking the lane. So those are game-changing things that I think uh, something like the universal DH, that's a no-brainer that it's going to be in baseball after next year. The game deserves it. The players deserve it. I, I think the pitchers don't do it anymore. And if you're going to cut out the minor leagues, the lower minor leagues, where that's time for these guys to handle the bat and learn how to bunt, Remember, you're facing guys who threw 70 miles an hour in your high school, even though you're the guy who threw 98. Now, all of a sudden, you have to face other guys like yourself who throw 95 miles an hour and bunt off them and put the ball in play. That's not easy to do. And if your focus is getting to the major leagues as a pitcher who can, you know, just worry about pitching, that's in itself enough to worry about. I, I'm glad that next year you'll see the universal dh going forward there's only one bartolo cologne home run that goes up against every 100 failed sack bunts and you know the, the shot hurt around and, the world and us as and us as pitch hitting pitchers will take that okay that's what we all live for is something as epic as bartolo cologne doing it at 40 what three years young <sighs> unbelievable just give me the damn dh all right you're listening to amazing but true is jake brown nelson figaro the number one Mets podcast in America, according to me. That's all that matters. The voice of the people. <laughs> Coming up next on Amazing But True, it's your favorite part of the show. It's the Nelson Figueroa Spanish Academy right here on Amazing But True. All right, welcome back to the Nelson Figueroa Spanish Academy. Now, we're going to continue the tradition of a word and a phrase or a sentence, at least one of them being pertaining to baseball here. Last week, you gave me spring training, which was what? El trenamento. Oh, God. El trenamento. Entrenamiento. Entrenamiento. Something like that. And good morning, my neighbors. Buenos dias. Mis vecinas. So I, I'm I'm getting a, a a fifty right now. One out of two. What word and what phrase do you got for the me this week? Let's start with the word. Okay, the word, the Spanish word of the week is sobre reaccionar. And what does that mean? Overreact. Overreact. Say it again. Sobre reaccionar. Oh my god, you knew I was going to scrub. Even with the new mic, I might not be able to pull this one off. One more time. Sobre reaccionar. Sobre reaccionar. What? what? Hey, can you roll your R's? I can't. Oh, I, that's, I think... You sound like Chewbacca <laughs> being choked out. Reaccionar. Sobre reaccionar. Sobre reaccionar. Sobre reaccionar. I can't roll my R's. That's a skill. It's like popping bubbles. Reaccionar. Yeah. Oof! It, 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 yeah, hopefully you'd be able to write it, but so far not good on the speaker. What does that well, mean? Overrated? Time. Overreact. Overreact. One more time. Slowly. Sobre. Sobre. Okay. <laughs> Sobre. Sobre. Reaccionar. 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 <laughs> All right. That, Why awful. can't I roll my R's? They didn't teach me that at Hofstra. It was fifty uh, grand a year. They didn't teach me how to roll an R. They told me how to, they taught me how to roll other things, but not R's. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get, uh, Alejandro. Let's let's hear you give it a try. Si, señor. Give me the word, please, one more time. Sobre reaccionar. Sobre reaccionar. Wow. Damn. See, these Nailed rolls it. them easy. I mean, Nailed it. Ugh. His real name's Alex. At least Alejandro tries in Spanish class. All right. We're moving on to the phrase. All right. So that's a fail. That's a loss. 
All right, phrase the time. phrase. It's a very famous Jacob Jake Brown phrase. If you listen to us, you've heard it before. Inyectame con la vacuna. Holy cow. First off, what is it in English? Inject me with the vaccine. Yes. Inject me with the vaccine. Shout out to Pfizer. All right. Start it slow here. Inyectame con la vacuna. Hold on. One word at a time. Inject. Inyectame. 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 Con la vacuna. Cola. Cola? Cola. Con la vacuna. Con la vacuna. Now all together. Oh, boy. Injectame? Nope. Injecte? Nope. J's are wise. Injectame? Injectame? Cola vacuna. Wow. Injectame cola vacuna. Injectame cola vacuna. Oh, that's like that's like uh, Bad Bunny's next hit song. <laughs> and it would take off. No, you're way better at Injectame? phrases. Injectame? Cola vacuna. I'm doing a shimmy while I do this. And yet to me, cola vacuna. And yet to me, cola vacuna. Okay, now go back to overreact. Uh, do it again. Sobre reaccionar. Sobre reaccionar. <laughs> what? What was the growl at the end? <laughs> <laughs> I hate cats too. It, it's sobre reaccionar. Oh God. Yeah. Good try. Uh, one out of two ain't bad. Injecte, injectame. What is it again? Injectame con la vacuna. Injectame con la vacuna. Injectame con la vacuna. Injectame con la vacuna. Wow. You got it. All right. So we've learned that I'm better at phrases than words. Uh, there yes. we go. That wraps up the Nelson Figueroa Spanish Academy this week. Hope you learned something Ay, new. Dios mío. Uh, apologize to everyone who does speak Spanish who is probably laughing at my embarrassment of uh, an attempt just there. But joining us next is a guy who never has an embarrassing attempt at anything. It's the great Ed Coleman on Amazing But True. Joining us now on Amazing But True is a voice that you've heard for many years on The Fan. Some call him Eddie C. You've heard him on Mike and the Mad Dog, Francesa, all the shows. We're celebrating the 25th anniversary, Figgy, of his full time being the Mets reporter for The Fan, WFAN in New York. And he catch him 9-1 to one on Sundays with Sweeney Murdy, the Yankees reporter. It is the great Ed Coleman joining us now. You can follow him. He doesn't actually look like an egghead, but you can follow him on Twitter at Eddie <laughs> underscore C07. Eddie, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great. Jake, Figgy, good to talk to you guys. My family calls me Eddie C, too, so it's okay. You, you can throw that in anytime you'd like. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it just flows, and it's like the Italian flair to it. It's a New York flair to it, Eddie C. And it's just what Mike used to always say, Eddie C joining us. Now, you know, uh, Mike, no. <laughs> Mike, Mike, do you, you ever have the one-up uh, with – with Sweeney that Mike fell asleep on Sweeney, but I don't think he fell asleep on you. <laughs> no, he never has, as a matter of fact, or never did. Let's put it that way. Now that he's, now that he's off the air. Yeah, he never did. I, I guess I, I, I take that as a plus. I don't know, but you know, he was having a bad day, I guess, with Sweeney. <laughs> hey, I remember. So when I was working at SNY <laughs> Me and Gary Apple sitting side by side when all that went down with him reading the, <laughs> uh, watching the old report on SNY about Harvey having to have surgery again. And he, and he goes, get Eddie C on the phone, get Eddie C on the phone. He wanted to know so bad. And I'm like, I can't imagine what your reaction was. Did they actually reach out to you? And were you able to calm him down and, and explain to him it was a rerun of an old show? 
of of Zach. Yeah, with the with yeah, the wheeler Zach, right, stuff. Zach. Yeah, yeah, with, exactly. Yeah, no, I I did. He he climbed all over me, and and you know when they called his producer called at the time, and and I said, "There's nothing going on here." I said, "What's he talking about?" And so eventually, I had to get him off the air, as a matter of fact, and and explain to him that you know I, I don't know what it was he saw, but it wasn't the same thing. Yeah, it was. Uh, there's some trying moments there, to say the least. Yeah, when when Mike wanted you, he he got you real quick. <laughs> yeah, it was Ga- it was Gary Apple. So Gary Apple sitting at the desk and explaining. It, it was a repeat of that. It was like a you know just one of those throwback editions of here, here's what happened with Zach Wheeler a few years ago, and uh, he he wanted to be first with the news, and he's like, oh, this is terrible <laughs> news, and we're watching it happen. And I remember I looking at Gary, and I go, oh my god, <laughs> like, yeah. Well, you, you know what? You know what? It also points out, guys, to me, and it just in general, you know, and and we've gotten into this in the media over the years that you know it's almost better or or right to be first as opposed to correct, you know, and that's that that has to be you know you, everybody's fighting for it. I understand, you know, you want to be the first guy that has the scoop, but at at the same time, you know, you got to get it right first, uh, and especially with something like that. I don't think you need a second Tommy John surgery if you're not even scheduled for one. So, you know, you you should get some some things right so hey it just that that was it was a pretty funny moment though in hindsight probably not to mike though right <laughs> yeah it's like i mean it's a classic gif now you know he wakes up you know it's right there with the turn my mic on that's a classic moment as well so you know you've been a part of these classic fan moments and you were you know you were there with the schmoozer in the 80s as his update anchor in the 80s you know at the start of WFN. You ever look back to those memories back in the eighties and you know, how far the fan has come. I, I try not to look all that far back, especially <laughs> to the overnights working with the schmooze, but it was fun. I listen, Steve is, he's great. And uh, you know, he wasn't really the full-time schmoozer at that point. He was kind of working into his persona, I guess at that time, but you know, listen, Steve was, uh, he was good and, and kind of, kind of manic most times, you know, it, it's funny for a guy who's, who sounds so laid back. A lot of times he gets, he can get really manic behind the scenes, but yeah, I mean, I, I think back to those days, you know, when, when anniversaries come up, you know, like the 30 year anniversary, which, uh, which we had a little while ago in, in 2017, 30 years, good Lord. And we're, you know, we're coming up to uh, 35, you know, next year, if we can make it that far, but yeah, I mean, I I do. I think back to, to working with Dave Sims and, uh, and working with Mike, uh, starting on weekends working with Mike and then working with him a little during the week. And then, of course, they got the dog to pair up with them. So, uh, yeah, it was – it seems like a long time ago, and then it seems like yesterday sometimes. W- weren't you the lead-in show to Mike and the Mad Dog? Weren't you the midday show? Yeah, yeah, we, we were – well, uh, yeah, we were for a while. Then they uh, then they switched. I can't even remember at the time who they I, – I know Lupica was in the mix at the time, and I, I can't even remember who came after us. But, yeah, we were for a little while. I, I worked with Mike for, for a while. We used to work on weekends doing college football shows and college basketball shows, and then we worked a little bit during the week as well. And then Dog came aboard – and they, uh, Mark Mason paired them up together. And then Dave and I, I think, stopped doing, I don't know, what was it, 1991 or thereabouts. So I can't remember the exact dates. I'd have to look back. But, but yeah, we, we did work a little during the week, and we were the uh, lead-in show there, too. All right. Over that illustrious career, and we already, 30, 30 years flew by like nothing, <laughs> who's been your favorite interview? Oh, wow. Favorite interview. Good Lord. Boy, favorite interview. That's, you know... I, I'll tell you an interview that, uh, and, and this this goes back to to Boston days. I, I worked at WBZ in Boston. This is before I came to the fan, 
And I worked on a show called Calling All Sports. A guy named Guy Manella, who was, he was one of the pioneers of, of talk radio, whatever. He had a Monday through Friday show, and they decided to do a weekend show. And I got tapped to do the weekend show. It was, you know, it, it, was, it was a great break. My first show, though, I had to interview Gordie Howe. And, and oh, listen, I, I, I follow hockey. It's not my favorite sport, but I was nervous as hell. And he could tell that I was nervous as hell. And he couldn't have been nicer for an hour. We talked for an hour on the air about everything, about everything through his career, his life, his family, everything. It, it ended up being a great interview, one I, I still have, as a matter of fact, on tape and, and literally on tape, you know, reel to reel tape. <laughs> I got I got to transfer that somehow. But it's one I always remember because it, you know, I, I said to myself, I was almost shaking. I said, I'm, I'm talking to, this is the first interview I have to do on the first show that I'm doing, and it's Gordy Howe. And, and it worked out, out great. Worked out tremendous. It's funny because when I was on WGBB in Long Island when I started, so I was born in 91, I think I had you on. One of my first shows at some point in w, this station. I really? mean, you, you couldn't even get the signal outside the building. It was it was just you paid for the airtime. <laughs> I was just I was either in college or just out of college, 2012, 2013 at a Hofstra, and I th- I think I had you on in the early days. So you know you weren't Gordy Howe, but you know it was cool to yeah. talk to, the, <laughs> to Eddie sure. C for sure. Uh, well, I'm glad I could do it. Yeah. In this day and age of Zoom calls, you know, talk about how different that is for you. Oh, Figgy, yeah, listen, you understand, you you know, it, it's, you know, the the thing that you used to be able to do, you know, you'd watch a game, um, you know, you'd comment on a game, it's the post game, then the next day, you know, you could, hey, if you didn't understand something, or you know, you wanted to know why a pitcher threw that pitch at that point in time, or why he worked around a hitter, or why the hitter decided to do what he did go the other way you could you could go and talk to him and and you know get the information that that you need you, you just simply you can't do that now it's it's a killer it's the one-on-one stuff is you know uh, listen I, I i don't think i ever overdid it i was never you know i, I never tried to thrust myself onto people and you know talk to them every day i just kind of picked my spots and I think people appreciated that. I think players appreciated that. And, I, you know, the information you could get in that regard, just doing it one-on-one and, and going about it that way, is it's invaluable. And it's uh, and you get to know people as people, too, not just, you know, announcer ball player. You get to know those people. You can talk about whatever, you know, what, what's going on at home with family, uh, where you where you where you had spent the off day, where'd you eat, that kind of stuff. So all that stuff is uh, is gone at this point in time. And it's, it's frustrating. It, it really is uh, frustrating because you, you know, you talk about bubbles and you feel like you're kind of broadcasting in a bubble and watching games in a bubble because you're watching from afar and it's, you know, you're watching the same game, but it's just, it's not the same at the same time. Yeah. You know, one of the great things about guys like yourself that you you've been around for so long and people know who you are. So when you first get to meet somebody like Eddie C and you hear the voice and then you, you know, make that connection. And if Eddie C says, Hey, I got a great spot that you can go and eat where nobody's going to bother you out of the way in spring training. That's the kind of advice you're looking for. And that, that right there, that's your in, that's your in with that player because every time you go out in spring training, because there's only a certain amount of restaurants right near the ballpark. So, you know, if you go out, you're going to get recognized. People are going to be there, you know, autographs, pictures, whatever. And you just want to go out and chill and be away from everything. You guys always had, the, you know, the little places. Hey, you want to go about 10 minutes out the way down to Jensen Beach? Go down there. There's a nice little place right on the water. Get yourself and tell them Eddie C sent you. That would get you in. 
<laughs> the uh, yeah, I can I can I can tell you every great fast food restaurant in Port St. Lucie, and uh, I can I can I can list I can list them numerically or alphabetically for you. That's uh, uh, and I still tell them that Eddie C sent me. Chick Fil A, Eddie C sent me. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, that's a you uh, you bring up a great point too. You know, one thing that I that I always tried to do with with every player is is let them know that hey i'm gonna be here every day you may you may hear something that i say that you don't like and you know don't don't harbor resentment if you don't like it tell me tell me the next day i'll be here i'm not a, i'm not a columnist i'm not i'm not somebody who's going to drop in i'm here all the time so if i get something wrong come to me right away if i if you hear something that you that i say that you don't like come to me the next day, you know, just talk to me. That's what, you know, that's why I'm here. I'm here every day. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go hide. I'm not going to run and gun as they say, uh, that kind of thing. So I, I think, you know, players appreciated that over time and, uh, that that's the way it should be. I, I think that's the way it should, it should be accountable for what you say and what you do. Did you grow up as a Red Sox fan? I did. Yes. Yeah, I did. And, and I still am. And I, I've made, I made no bones about that. I'm a Boston fan. You know, I'm a Tom Brady fan. I'm, I'm a Celtic fan. That's uh, it, when you're, when you are born in New England, that is Red Sox nation is stamped on your birth certificate. Okay. That you can't get away from it. It doesn't really matter. You're, you know, you're a Red Sox fan. Uh, that's always in your blood. So yeah, I mean, I've, I've always been a Sox fan. Uh, I, I'm old enough that my dad actually, um, you know, would take me to Red Sox games and he actually, brought me to Ted Williams' last game when he homered in his last at bat. I still remember that, sitting down the left field line and watching the ball leave the park and Ted circling the bases and going into the locker room and never coming out. He never came out for his, uh, for his curtain call. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm an unabashed Boston fan. I, I take pride in, in what they do. I don't, I don't flaunt it in New York because I want to stay alive. But I, I think most, most people know that I'm from Boston. All right, Eddie, we're going to put you up against the wall here. What do you think for the 2021 Mets? I think they're good. So, yeah, I, I do. I, now, you know, I, I still, and, and yesterday, it might have been a great indication because the, the one thing I always have doubts on with this team is defense. And I, I still think that defensively, this team has a ways to go. And how much better they can be, I don't know. I'm look. I'm just talking on paper now. I look at the infield, and I know they're better with Lindor at shortstop. But they had a pretty good shortstop last year when Jimenez took over. <laughs> he was, and I, I think he's going to be a heck of a player. But I, I look around and I I say Davis, Lindor, McNeil, Alonso. Is that a great defensive infield? I don't think so. But uh, and I, I I think this team is going to be fine. I, I I get a good feeling even from afar. I, I think they like each other. They feel that they can do some special things this year, and I think they can. They should be a playoff team, but they should have been a playoff team last year with 16 teams for sure, and they weren't. So they have some, they have some catching up to do, let's put it that way, and it's a very tough division. Uh, how many games it's going to take to win this division, I couldn't even tell you at this point, but I think it's going to be a very tough division, and uh, even a team like Miami I think is better and, and can do some damage. So – but I, I do like the way they're put together. I think some things have to go right, and they've probably got to catch the ball better, too. Okay, so in your opinion, right, ownership has changed. The offseason didn't really, right? We expected 
it would be no questions asked, unlimited budget, money out the window. Real Muto, Bauer, and 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 Springer were all going to be Mets. None of that happened, and yet most people are still saying the Mets had a fantastic offseason. Are you in agreement with that? And if it was the Wilpons that did that, wouldn't you think they'd be burning down the stadium right now? Probably. You're probably right. There wasn't. I, I, I don't think there was much empathy at all for anything the Wilpons did. Certainly in the last, you know, three or four years uh, in particular, you know, with, with Steve Cohen waiting, you know, waiting on the side to come in. I, I, here's what I think. I think it was a good off season. I, I do. I, um, I was a real Muto fan simply because I, I thought he was far and away the, the best catcher out there and, and maybe the best athlete out there. But I, I do understand uh, when, when Sandy said, hey, we, we had to fill a black hole behind the plate and we had to do it quickly. I understand that because they wanted to get other things done. Real Muto would have taken more time. So, and I, I actually think it will work out well for that. I think James McCann is, is, is a good get. We'll, we'll find out, but the pitchers seem to love him. And if he can keep it up offensively, I think that's a good plus. I, not getting any of the three surprised me. I thought they would turn to Springer and that would happen. I do think, uh, this, and I haven't met Steve Cohen, so I don't know. And I don't even know if I'd ask him if I, if I saw him. But I, it's always been my sense that he very much wanted to stay under the salary cap this year as as a first year owner uh, he didn't want to come in and step on a lot of toes you know he said we're not going to spend like drunken sailors i didn't expect that but i i do think that it was important to him to stay under the cap as a as a first year owner maybe i'm wrong but i that's what i felt so i i think there was a limit to what he could do and i I, I do think that you know the six years for Springer was was probably too much for him, and I, I can't say I disagree. I, I don't know what George Springer is going to be six years from now, but I know he's a pretty good player right now. I, I will say that. But and and especially with the DH too, with no DH, I should say, I, I think it constricts them. That that hurts the Mets. It helped them last year, not enough to get a playoff spot, but it it does hurt them because you know you've got Dom Smith and you. And you have Alonzo, you know the situation. So it's something that would be a lot better and, and help a lot, facilitate a lot better if it was if there was a DH. Well, the bad news for Steve, Steve Cohen and the good news for us as we end this Monday morning as we record is that GameStop is at $175 a stock. So not, not too happy, Steve Cohen. <laughs> happy Jake Brown here on this Monday morning as GME is heading to the moon. So we'll there see what that, what that means for the Mets' salary cap moving forward. Eddie, Eddie <laughs> Coleman, catch him on WFAM reporting on the Mets. Catch him 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. on Sundays, at least in the month of March here co-hosting with Yankees reporter Sweetie Murdy. Eddie C., looking forward to chatting with you uh, later in the season. Thanks for coming on Amazing But True. That'd be great. Jake, Nelly, good talking to you guys, all right? That says adios, amigos, to episode 36, the Jerry Kuzman edition of Amazing But True, our Mets podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to you, Jake, and Alex Camerato for producing the show. Catch up on all episodes of Amazing But True by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. But give us that five-star rating and write a nice review on Apple Podcasts. For Nelson Figueroa and his Spanish Academy, I'm Jake Brown. We'll be back next Monday and every Monday in March. Stay healthy, stay safe, and we'll talk to you next week.